I want to thank you guys all for the past several weeks that you have um, shown a great deal of love to me and my wife and our kids. We uh, had twins um, a few weeks ago, and I guess six or seven weeks ago, and, and they're doing great. We brought them today uh, to worship, and um, it's just been a really, a really good time. Um, I look forward to sharing with you um, some things that uh, are going on. In the next couple weeks, we will be uh, talking about uh, some changes and uh, expansion and some uh, great opportunities that the Lord has, has brought uh, this church. And so the past few weeks, uh, a break away has allowed uh, my wife and I to kind of um, to, to rest and recoup, kind of. <laughs> when you throw twins in the midst of that, the, the rest part kind of doesn't really exist. So, um, but we were able to, to get away and, and spend some time uh, just kind of getting adjusted to family. Uh, we also uh, spent some time uh, at the uh, Acts 29 Lead Pastors Retreat uh, in California, uh, which, is, which is great. And I look forward to sharing with you uh, some things that, that we took away from that. Um, all of that to say is uh, we're just glad to be back. So it's good to see you guys. Um, why don't you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 uh, as we uh, pick up um, uh, in the book of Acts. Over the past several weeks, you've heard, uh, heard the gospel preached through uh, many different voices uh, here looking in Acts chapter 1. And, and what we're going to do over the next coming weeks is look at Acts chapter 2 and, and kind of see how, how the mission of Christ um, continued through the early Christian church by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see that we, we went through the Gospel of Mark uh, for over a year here at the church, and we looked at, at the person and work of Christ, the, the identity and the mission of Jesus, who he was and what he came to do. And, and then we see we transition into the book of Acts as, as Jesus gives this uh, pronouncement over his apostles that he's sending them out, um, that they will receive power by the Holy Spirit, and that they will be the witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we see how, how Jesus pronounces this over his apostles and sends them out, commissions them yet again with the good news of his identity, his mission, who Christ is, what he's done, and restoring all things to himself. And we see but that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is what propels these men to go out. And over the coming weeks, as we look at a couple sections of the book of Acts, we're not going to go through the whole book, we're going to look at a couple segments of the book of Acts. We see that these guys go out and they plant churches and they spread the gospel. And that by the Holy Spirit, the good news of Jesus goes forth to all over the earth. And that mission of God the good news of Jesus and the, and, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit continues today. So as uh, you turn to the book of Acts chapter 2, uh, let me pray and we will dive in, shall we? Uh, Father God in heaven, Lord, I thank you for this morning, a time to gather with your people. God, to open up your scriptures, to uh, look at your good news, Jesus. God, I thank you that you have gathered us here today. You have called us here as your people. God, we're broken. We are sinners. But God, we thank you that by your son, Jesus, we have new life, we have redemption, we have forgiveness of sin. God, we enter this room not only as individuals, but God, as a gathering, a community, a body of people that you've called here, you've gathered, and, and Lord, to be your temple. And so, God, I pray that now as we continue, as, we've, as we worship through singing and through prayer and through reading, God, as we continue worshiping through the opening of your scriptures, through the reading of your word, through the proclamation of the gospel, God, and, and through communion later, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell here with us. God, that you would open our minds to understand your scriptures, that you would open our hearts to receive the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Holy Spirit, that you would dwell in our midst, 
that you would stir us up to know the goodness of Jesus, that you would stir our heart's affection to worship you, God, that you would propel us on in mission to take the good news of Jesus from this place to our families, to our neighborhoods, to our communities, to our city, to our work, to our school. God, and to the ends of the earth for your glory, for our joy. In Christ's name, amen. Acts chapter two, verse one. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Amalites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. This is God's word. Friends, the mission of God to restore all things to himself is culminated in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit who actualizes this truth in our hearts It's the Holy Spirit who gathers us in a community as the redeemed. It's the Holy Spirit who propels this good news on mission through his gathered people, the church. And this is good news for us. Friends, you are part of something big. If you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you are part of something big. You are part of a movement of God. You're not part of something big because of what church you belong to necessarily or what uh, religious or denominational or cultural or traditional affiliation you may have. You are part of something big not because this church is is part of of a worldwide network of churches. You are part of something big because the Holy Spirit has ignited in your heart the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And that gathers you together with saints from history all over the world to propel the good news of Jesus all over the planet. It's a big deal. There is significance in being a believer gathered here today. This church, we we could have 100 people in this room, but you are connected to thousands of believers worldwide throughout generations to proclaim the good news of Jesus. It's a big deal. It's really kind of cool. See, we see we are part of this grand story of redemption. 
a big story of redemption in which we find our personal stories of redemption. When you open scripture, when you open the Bible from the Old Testament into the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, you see God's grand story of redemption. You see God creates everything out of nothing. He creates it good. And three chapters into the Bible, it all falls apart because sin enters the world. Human hearts rebel But God does not leave us in that broken state. He proclaims, even in chapter 3 of Genesis, that he will restore, redeem, repair the brokenness that sin brings. And so the rest of the Bible are are glimpses of redemption that God does for his people Israel and then expands to other nations on the planet. And, And then it comes to a full culmination in the person and work of Jesus. And Jesus sends out his apostles to proclaim this good news to all the ends of the earth. And that ripple effect happens today. 2,000 years later, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we find our story, our personal story of redemption, in this grand story of redemption. So we're spending the next couple weeks in Acts chapter 2 to see what this looks like and how this applies to us today. We see God working in and through his people for his glory, for their joy, and that the gospel will advance. And this is exciting stuff. First, we see the setting of today's story. I mean, if you looked in Acts chapter 1, if you've been with us for the past couple weeks, and I tuned into the podcast, so I got to hear Ben preach, and Reggie, and and Tommy brought it last week, and uh, you get to see how the Holy Spirit uh, uh, is promised by Christ to empower these guys to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So here you have these apostles who had spent time with Jesus and as Jesus is, is leaving them, they, they saw him, they traveled with him, he taught, he did miracles, they, they lived with him for years. Then they see him crucified and killed and buried in a tomb and then come back to life. And then before he ascends to be with God the Father in heaven, he, he proclaims this final, uh, this final commission to them. And so they wait. They're waiting for this empowerment of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. They, they maybe are, are fearful, they maybe are doubtful, they maybe are, are, are eager to take the gospel, but they're waiting. And we see in chapter 2 the setting of what's going on. The first verse says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Pentecost. It's an important uh, setting that we must see. Pentecost was a, was a, a Jewish holiday. It actually uh, was 50 days after uh, the Passover. Uh, the, the word Pentecost comes from the, the Greek word for 50. We look in Exodus chapter 34 and Deuteronomy chapter 16. It was called the Feast of Weeks. It was seven weeks after the Passover, a time, uh, one of a few major festivals that God's people would, would celebrate God's provision for them. They would celebrate a covenant renewal of God's faithfulness and relationship to them. They were, uh, knew they were wayward people. They knew their tendency of uh, their hearts was toward idolatry and wickedness and rebellion. And so it, when they would have these festivals, they would say, look how God has provided for us. And look how God is renewing a, a covenant relationship with us because he is good, even though we're wayward, even though we're wicked, even though our hearts are fickle. God is, is constant. God is loving. God is pursuing us. God is our great covenant keeping God, our father, our king. And so when, the, when these feasts would arrive, they would celebrate this. And so every year, This was one of three festivals in which all the Jewish males in the country were required to travel to Jerusalem. 
they would all gather from all parts of, of the nation of the land to gather together to offer sacrifices to God to celebrate the end of the first grain harvest of barley and the beginning of the second harvest of wheat. This celebration had religious and national implications. Throughout Israel's history, there were times where they would be in bondage. You see that in in Egypt when they were enslaved for generations, and then God did this wonderful thing to set them free, and they would celebrate Passover. We see throughout the Old Testament, there were times of exile and times of occupations of other countries coming in and oppressing God's people. We see that during the first century, it was a time of Roman occupation where God's people were, uh, were, were oppressed by uh, the Roman um, emperor and, and the Roman empire. And so here, God's people would gather to celebrate God's covenant faithfulness to them, his provision for them, offering sacrifices. And it was a time for God's people from all over to gather It was a a multicultural gathering. We see in in, in verse 5, it says, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. There were people from all over coming together. It was part of God's plan. It was God's plan for the Holy Spirit to go forth in this particular setting. Jesus didn't pour out his Holy Spirit right when he left. It was part of God's plan to gather people together and then to pour out his Holy Spirit. And there's a reason for that. It was foreshadowing of what was to come. It was a foreshadowing of what the grand story of redemption will look like in the end when God truly gathers people from all over the globe. It was a foreshadowing of what God would do through his apostles and through the church by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to proclaim the good news to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It was a foreshadowing of what Revelation 19 says is the marriage supper of the Lamb where every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every knee bows before the Lamb. You see, there were expectations religiously, nationally, culturally in first century Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost. There was expectation celebrating God's covenant faithfulness, God's promise of redemption, God's promise of provision. Even for those who didn't know the gospel of Jesus, they would soon find out because in this context, God had gathered people from all over the planet into this city so that he could show his glory once again. So here we are, the time of Pentecost, Verse 5 says that there were devout men dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Religious guys. They knew the scriptures. They knew the Old Testament. They knew what to expect, that God would indeed show up. And he does. And over the next couple weeks, as we look at chapter 2 of Acts, you're going to see several quotes from the Old Testament because this was God's fulfilling the promise of scripture. So have your Old Testament ready should be right before your New Testament if you have a Bible. And if you don't, we'll give you one. I want to ask you guys this. So we have, we have groups of people in, Pente- in Jerusalem during Pentecost. You have a group of devout Jews who had religious and national expectations of God. You had apostles who were gathered in one place who were expecting something from Christ to send his Holy Spirit. God had gathered the apostles in one place 
to pour the Holy Spirit on them. He had gathered Jews from all nations under heaven in Jerusalem during Pentecost so that he can show his glory. He has gathered you and I here today for the same purpose. When you walked in this door this morning, what are you expecting from God? What did you expect to see and hear here today? Are you expecting the God of the Old Testament to show you his ongoing covenant faithfulness to you as a father to a child? Are you expecting that Christ brought you here today so that his Holy Spirit may be poured out on you so you could see his glory and be sent out to take the gospel to the world? What did you expect when you walked in the door this morning? We see that God had gathered his apostles to one place. He had gathered devout religious Jews from all over the planet to the city. And we see what happens next. It says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What in the world is going on? I mean, that sounds amazing, right? God gathers his apostles here. Jesus says, wait in the city, I will pour my spirit upon you. He gathers religious guys from all over the planet who were coming expecting God to renew his covenant faithfulness as they celebrate his provision for them. And God sends his Holy Spirit and does this amazing thing. Now, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a he. He is the third person of the Trinity. As Christians, we know that our God is is one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. It's difficult for us to wrap our minds around because there's no one like God. There's no way we compare anything to God. We just have to trust and try in our feeble minds to grasp that our one God is in three persons, God the Father, Jesus the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus the Son promises to send God the Holy Spirit it's a he, he's a he, not an it. The Holy Spirit was present at creation. Scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers God's people for mighty acts, mighty works. The Holy Spirit's the one who convicts sin and hearts. It's the Holy Spirit who regenerates dead hearts to beat with life. Scripture says it's the Holy Spirit who seals our hearts for the day of redemption in Christ. And so with this understanding, this scriptural and cultural understanding, here is what the Holy Spirit does. Scripture says the Holy Spirit fills like wind, rests like fire, and gives utterance to speak in other languages. You see that? He fills like wind, rests like fire, gives utterance to speak in other languages. Now, when we read this at first, it may just sound like this fantastical event where it's like, wow, that's just great. It like comes in like a wind, whoosh, and then over here, these little things like fire, and then they start speaking in different languages, right? We can't breeze over that too quickly because we have to understand how this is a fulfillment of Old Testament expectations. It's a fulfillment of Christ's promise to his people, and it propels us forward with the gospel. You see, verse 1 and 2, uh, sorry, verse 2 says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. You see, in Scripture, there are numerous occasions when God, God's presence is with his people. It's like a wind. You see, God, when God shows up, it's like a storm. It's not just like a, hey, I'm God. You guys okay? Just checking in. 
When God shows up, it's a, it's a force to be reckoned with. He, he, he blows in like a mighty storm, like a mighty wind. You search throughout scriptures, when the prophets encountered God, it was like a storm. When, when Moses was on Mount Sinai getting the, the Ten Commandments and the law handed to him, it was like a cloud and just like booming awesomeness. And we see that Psalm 18 the psalmist writes this, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth come from him. He bowed the heavens and he came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering and a canopy around him, thick clouds, dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through the clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightning and routed them. And the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. You see, so for the apostles to be gathered to one place, waiting for Christ's promise of the Holy Spirit to show up, this is what they're thinking. And so when a wind blows forth, it was not just a little breeze like, hey, somebody closed the window. It was a force of God himself blowing into the room like a storm, busting open the shutters, blowing into the room. It says the storm, this, this wind filled the house where they were sitting. The word filled is used again in verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not some pleasant little happy feeling. This was the force of God, the God who created everything out of nothing, the God who was resting on Mount Sinai and gave the law to Moses, the God who showed up to the prophets like Elijah in the form of a storm, the God who, who, whose earth shakes at his presence, shows up in this room of these apostles, anticipating God's work in them and through them, just like Jesus promised. Jesus delivers on his promise, does he not? The Holy Spirit shows up but we see that the Holy Spirit fills like a wind. The Holy Spirit fills the room. The Holy Spirit fills each person there like a wind. But secondly, we see that the Holy Spirit rests like fire. Look at this in verse 2. At the, suddenly, there came, <clears throat> excuse me, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. You see, the Holy Spirit shows up. It's not true fire. The house didn't catch a blaze. But Scripture says it was tongues as of fire, kind of like fire, this, this fire-like sensation. This had great implications for uh, devout religious men in the first century, uh, both Jews and new Christians here who knew the Scripture. They knew that throughout Scripture, fire was seen also of God's presence. This would bring back memories of Moses at the burning bush when the Lord is speaking to him. The, birth, the, the bush is on fire, right? And not consumed, but it's like flaming and, and talking. God is talking to Moses. 
We see that when God shows up throughout Scripture, there's, there's fire time and time again. Fire was seen as, as a way to be purified, to be made clean. Here they're gathered for Pentecost, this time of, of making sacrifices. Fire was seen as, as being made holy, set apart for holy use, God's dwelling presence to make his people holy. And so when the Holy Spirit shows up, that's exactly what happens. Busts in like wind, the presence of the Lord rests on them like fire, making them holy, sanctifying them. Undoubtedly, as they're expecting a a renewal of the covenant of God would bring their minds back to Exodus 19 when Moses was at Mount Sinai. says this, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. See, when God shows up, it's like a wind, it's like a fire. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit descends on God's people. And thirdly, we see what happens is the Holy Spirit fills like wind, he rests like fire, and then he gives utterance to speak in languages. Verse 4 says, They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Verse 6 And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. This is amazing. You see what God's doing here? When the Holy Spirit shows up, it's not just some sensation for Christians to enjoy in their little room. The whole purpose is that the Holy Spirit would show up. It was God's dwelling presence with his people so that the mighty works of God would be proclaimed. That's what's happening here. Those guys didn't say, wow, this is fun. Let's just hang out here and enjoy this for a little bit. They they were vessels of the Lord. See, again, you have to remember, uh, the wind is like uh, God's presence entering a place is like a storm, a wind storm just blowing in, and and then fire resting on them that is seen as as being sanctified, as being made holy, like sacrifices that are set ablaze to, to proclaim God's people holy. Set apart for a holy use is what God does to the apostles. Like flames of fire, the Holy Spirit sets them apart for holy use. What's that holy use? To proclaim the mighty works of God. The mighty works of God are proclaimed, and people from all over the nations are hearing this good news in their own tongues. It's a miracle. It's amazing. Like when you read scripture here, it says tongues or languages, the same word in Greek, it just means languages. When they're speaking in tongues, they're speaking in languages. Uh, What we have to understand here is in this passage, it's not just some random babbling. Languages. Cretans. Does anybody know how to speak Cretan? Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Pamphylians. Any of those in the house? Come on, work with me, people. This is a miracle of God setting his people apart for holy use to proclaim the mighty works of God. If you read the first couple verses of this and you forget verse 11, you miss the point. Underline verse 11. Otherwise, we we can sway on what the point of this whole passage is. The whole point is that God shows up to dwell with his people so that the mighty works of God would be proclaimed to the nations. That's good news. We see what happens here. 
Scripture tells us here in verse 5 that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Good guys, not some crazy barbarians. These are good, religious, wise men that know the Scriptures. They have shown up in Jerusalem to worship God the only way they know how, to make sacrifices, to celebrate God's goodness at Pentecost. They know the Scriptures. They're coming with expectation. And they ask this question, Scripture says they were all amazed and perplexed and saying to one another, what does this mean? When they ask that question, and maybe, maybe you're asking that question too, you're like, what does this mean, Jeremy? What does it mean for God to show up like wind and like fire and people start talking a different language? What does that mean? When these guys ask that question, a great question, what does it mean? They're not asking what does it mean as in we don't understand what they're saying. What does that mean? I don't understand the language. Because scripture tells us that they're understanding, they're hearing them in their own language to declare the mighty works of God. They're asking, what's the significance of this event? What What does this mean? Like, we have come here as religious people gathered to worship our Lord, expecting him to show up, expecting him to renew his covenant, expecting him to continue showing his faithfulness of redemption to his people. We've come expecting these things, We've come expecting that God sometimes shows up like wind, God sometimes shows up like fire, that God always wants his goodness proclaimed to every nation. And so when these religious guys show up and they ask, what does this mean? They were amazed and perplexed. Now, some guys said these guys are just drunk. (laughs) So that's the last sentence we're leaving off with today. Others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Anybody ever say that to you? Go to Stillwater Taproom, you were filled with new wine never happens. But in the first century, they're probably just pretty much saying, like, those guys are drunk. They've had a little too much to drink today. It was early in the day, so I don't know. They must have been Irish. (laughs) Reggie's not here, so we have to jive on him today. You see, when God's people expect God to show up, it's okay to ask the question, what does this mean? It's okay to ask because God will answer. When you are a first century apostle gathered in a room saying, we just want to obey Jesus. Jesus told us to wait here until he pours out his Holy Spirit. And then when God shows up, it's okay to say, what does this mean now? When you are a devout religious person coming to worship the Lord in the only way you know how, expecting him to do something like the Jews at Pentecost, expecting God to renew his covenant with you, expecting God to show his faithfulness to you. It's okay to show up and say, God, what does this mean? And when you ask that question, buckle up and brace for the answer. Because here's what happens. What this means is when the Holy Spirit shows up and is poured out on the apostles and the mighty works of God are proclaimed to the nations, it means a bunch of things, but here's one of the things it means. First and foremost, that God is fulfilling his promise in the Old Testament. His promise to renew the covenant with his people, his promise to redeem broken humanity, his promise to gather his people from the ends of the earth in exile, to gather them together so that he could shepherd them and love them as a father. That's what God is doing here. God is fulfilling his promise from the Old Testament. Secondly, this means that the promises of Jesus are being fulfilled. 
You see, there's a continuity in the story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation, the story we find ourselves in. There's a continuity of God redeeming his people, gathering them from the corners of the earth and and bringing them together and saying, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. God is doing that here, showing that that's what he is still doing in the first century, gathering people as he's done throughout the Old Testament, gathers them together, identifies them as his people. And he's also showing that the words of Jesus are coming true. That the promises of Jesus, that Jesus, like get this in Luke 3.16, this isn't Jesus, this is John, Jesus' cousin. They're like ate locusts and wore camel fur, lived in the woods, hippie. Love, love, love the Lord. You can love the Lord and be a hippie. Amen. We need more amens, man. Come on. There are like 500 beards in this room. Where are you guys at? <laughs> Amen, right? Luke 3.16, John... All right, so, so Jesus is, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he gets baptized, and, and John, he gets baptized by his cousin John. And John, uh, the religious guys are saying, look, what's going on? And, and John answers them saying, I baptize you with water. <clears throat> Excuse me, but the one who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So you see the words of John, the baptizer, Jesus' cousin are coming true here because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to baptize his people with fire. You see in John 14, as, as Jesus is meeting with his disciples and his ministry is coming to an end where he will die and then come back to life and then go be with God the Father in heaven, Jesus says this as a promise to his people. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Is that not amazing good news? That Jesus says, look, when I leave the earth, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, a helper. The word for Holy Spirit, it can mean helper or counselor. It means, it means the one who comes alongside of you. The same language is used to describe like a marriage. The Holy Spirit will be with you and in you. This is a promise that is coming true in Acts chapter 2 and continues today. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is, is with you and in you. And these promises remain true for you and I today that, that he will teach you all things. Friends, as you open scripture, you can't, you can't understand this because you're smart. You can't understand this because you have a degree or anything. If you understand this, because the Holy Spirit is like igniting in your mind to understand the words of God. We must never forget that. As you open the word of God, you expect that God will speak. And the only way you can understand is that the Holy Spirit like tickles your mind and says, you're going to understand this. That's good news, man kind of takes the burden off of you. You, know, you, gotta, you gotta learn to read. You, gotta, you should study. I'm saying, you know, apply yourself. But in the end, trust that the Holy Spirit speaks through his word because Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be with you as your comforter, as your counselor. Has anybody ever had a horrible day? Has anybody ever been in a horrible season of life? Maybe marriage is tough right now. Maybe family life is not great. Maybe work stinks. Maybe school's hard. Maybe this season of life is not what you expected. Maybe you're in Augusta and you've never, ever wanted to be here. You know what? The Holy Spirit's your comforter. 
He's your counselor. Jesus promises that he is with you. You're not alone in it, man. This is true. Holy Spirit is with you. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is in you. When you open the words of Scripture, you will, you will understand because the Holy Spirit will give you understanding. When you try to obey and you're going you're gonna to say, look, God says to do this, I'm going to try to do it, you're going to fail because you're a sinner. Do you know what? The Holy Spirit will convict your sin. The Holy Spirit will bring about repentance. The Holy Spirit has sealed your heart for the day of redemption. You belong to Jesus. The Holy Spirit will keep you his. A whole nother sermon. It's been six weeks, so we got another three hours. Just kidding. <laughs> We're almost done for real. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Really can't camp on out for a while. Just look up John chapter 14, read it, pray over it, and just rest in the promises of Christ. Is that a deal? Do that for your homework. Read John 14 and just rest in the promises of Christ. Do it. Um, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is partly coming true right now. Now this is what's cool about this passage. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ends of the earth. Basically saying, everyone in the world is gonna know, know who I am through you. Now get this, people from all over the world had gathered in Jerusalem. But what I, what I love about this is it would be really easy to check out and say, well, we've proclaimed the goodness, the mighty works of God because all of these people from all over the world came to us today check, we're done. No, they're still in Jerusalem. They still got Samaria, Judea, and the ends of the earth to go to. See, that's a whole nother sermon. Good grief. We'll do that again too. So God gathers his people to hear the mighty works of God. He gathers his people so that he can display his goodness to them. And then he sends them out to proclaim the mighty works of God. All of this is happening to fulfill the Old Testament expectations that God would bring redemption to his people. It's fulfilling the promises of Jesus that he proclaimed in John 14 and Acts 1. And that there is ongoing mission of redemption as God continues this work for us today. So in closing, I'll say this. There's a couple implications for you and I as believers. Because I want us to not walk away and say, man, I know this. I know God is good. I have issue with, you know, I want to argue with you about speaking in tongues. Well, we can do that. But the whole point of them speaking in other languages is verse 11. So memorize that and then we'll talk is that the mighty works of God would be heard, would be known to people of all cultures and all languages, okay? That happens here. But this is an event that happened in history. It's true, it's real, and this rippling effect of the Holy Spirit propelling gospel mission has continued for 2,000 years. If you are a Christian, God has saved you because the Holy Spirit has regenerated your heart and brought an understanding of the word to you and used somebody to get the gospel here to Augusta. Like somebody on a boat a long time ago came over here, you know, I don't know, a couple dozen miles from here is like one of the oldest Baptist churches uh, in the nation, right? A, like a block from here is the oldest African-American church in the nation. Hundreds of years ago, people brought the gospel to this city that did so by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And you're a believer today because the Holy Spirit has done a work in you and through you and through someone else to bring the gospel here. So there's some implications here for us today that I don't, I don't want us to walk away and just say, wow, this is great. I want us to walk away saying, wow, God is good. Now let's go. I'll give you water guns as you leave and we can go storm the gates of hell. Anyone with me? Bearded people, amen? amen. Bearded hippies? Love you guys, man. It's so good to be back. I missed you guys. All y'all.
implications for us, four things I just want us to, to bear in mind as we, as we walk away. First and foremost, God, this teaches us that God is personal. God is personal. God is not some ethereal force far away, but God is personal. He is with you. He is in you. The Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is with you and in you. If you belong to God, he is dwelling in you and with you. God is personal. It even says here that the Holy Spirit came down. I mean, I love this verse. And, uh, good grief. He said that they were all together in one place. In verse 3, they divided tongues of fire, appeared to them, and rested on each one of them. I love that verse. You see, God is personal. It wasn't just some blanket weird thing that happened. It was the Holy Spirit was resting on each one of them. God is personal. God is personal, and the Holy Spirit is with you and in you, Jesus says. This should give us uh, a sense of security, knowing we belong to the Lord. Ephesians says that it's the Holy Spirit who has sealed our hearts for the day of redemption. This gives us security, joy, comfort, peace, freedom from guilt. Secondly, the implication not only is that God is personal, but also is that the community of, of gathered people is the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. You see, God is gathering people from all over the planet to be his people so that he can be their father and that his Holy Spirit can dwell with them. 1 Corinthians tells us that the Holy Spirit, uh, that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, but also that the gathered people of God is the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. So as we gather here to worship the Lord, you're not only an individual, but you're part of this body, part of a community. This has huge implications for us as we know that we, in Christ, are accepted. We, we belong. We experience together who Christ is and what he's doing in our midst. Thirdly, it's the Holy Spirit who empowers us toward obedience and mission. We see here that that's exactly what the Holy Spirit did, is that these guys started speaking in other languages to proclaim the mighty works of God. And that continues for us today. We are uh, commanded by Christ to go and make disciples in Matthew 28. He gives that instruction to his disciples saying, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all, all I've commanded you. Part of all that Christ commanded is to go and make disciples. So that's us. If you're a disciple, you go make disciples, what Jesus said to do. You can't do it on your own. No cool technique is going to get you there. No degree is going to teach you how to do that. But the Holy Spirit is the one who propels gospel mission in and through us. And so the Holy Spirit dwelling with us and in us empowers us for obedient life and mission. This gives us confidence in proclaiming the goodness of Christ. Think about this. Tomorrow when you go to work and you strike up a conversation with somebody and, and you can start talking about Jesus, right, or, or, or whatever, you, you have confidence in knowing that as you talk about the mighty works of God that you don't have, you don't have to fear that you're going to mess it up. Just share what God's going, what's going on in your life, what God's doing in your life, because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. He's with you. So just let her rip. Everybody run your mouth tomorrow at work. Shoot me an email. Let me know how it goes. In closing, I'll ask us at our time of response to trust the finished work of Christ, to trust and rest in the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, what we want you to know is if, if you walked in this room today with whatever your expectation is and you, and you look at this text and you hear this story and you say, what does this mean? It is my hope and prayer if you are not a Christian, uh, apart from Christ, you will always ask that question. What does this mean? As you look at scripture and you look at what God's doing, you'll always ask the question, what does this mean? And you'll never understand. It's my hope and prayer for you 
that God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, will regenerate your heart to believe the gospel and that he will bring a great deal of understanding and joy to your life. If you want to talk to me about what that looks like, what it looks like for for God to work in you, come talk to me. I want you to know Jesus. Christians here today, man, we have an ongoing conviction of sin, an ongoing repentance prompted by the Holy Spirit. May we be quick to act in obedience and mission, trusting the work of Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Can you guys imagine what it would be like if for us as a church, as a gathering of redeemed individuals gathered together as God's community, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on mission to tell the mighty works of God? Can you imagine what that would do to the city? I can, let's do it. You with me? Grow a beard, thank you. In the end, um, I'm going to ask you guys to do this. Um, in your bulletin, uh, I think I made it in there this week, there's some questions. <clears throat> there's some questions on the back of your bulletin. You can see that there. Some of you guys use that in your missional community. Others of you may not. Uh, I would ask you just this week to just look at those questions and, uh, and, and think about them. Uh, think about what God is doing in you and through you, what God has done through Scripture. And number five is not a question, it's more of an instruction. And this is my, my plea to you as a, as a church. Uh, there, are, there are great things going on in this church and in this city right now. I believe that God's Holy Spirit is on the move and that the gospel is, is very uh, ripe and thriving right now. And so I wanna ask us as a church to spend time in prayer and pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in you and through you. Pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in this church and through uh, this church uh, for the glory of God and for our joy and for the advancement of the gospel. Is that a deal? All right, I love you guys. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, uh, thank you for a time to open your word. God, I thank you for the joy it is to be uh, with our church family yet again. Um, God, your goodness to us is amazing. And Lord, as we open your scriptures and we see uh, your faithfulness to your people throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament and into our lives today, God, I pray that we would never tire of hearing the good news, but God, that each time we hear this gospel, we would be ignited with joy and peace and hope and, and obedience to, to your goodness and uh, mission to proclaim your mighty works. And God, I pray for, uh, for a humility uh, in my life and in the life of this church as you have uh, some amazing things on the horizon for us. God, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would uh, keep us humble, that you would convict us of sin, that we would repent constantly, that we would turn to you. God, that we would trust you, that we would trust uh, what you're doing in our midst, that we would lean on Christ, that we would lean on each other, knowing that this is your gathered community. These are your people. We are your people. Um, and God, I thank you for that. God, I pray that uh, as we go this week, that you would remind us that by your Holy Spirit you are with us and in us, uh, that that would give us comfort and joy and peace and confidence. We thank you that you're good to us in Christ's name. Amen.